What's up, my brother? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm doing good. How are you? Jungle Rot T. I'm really good, dude. Busy today. I fuck hard with Jungle Rot. So do I. And, oh, here's my controversial metal opinion of the week. Are you ready? Oh, shit. Yes. Completely underwhelmed by the new Iron Maiden record. I don't think that's necessarily a, a, a super controversial opinion. And, and, I guess and here's not. why. I guess not. I, I feel like even though I, I, I own the new Iron Maiden record and I like it, I feel a lot about it the way I felt about Book of Souls, right? I'm just so stoked on these dudes still being alive and like putting out at the very least like a competent record. Yeah. That I can I can get past a lot of the 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 the, the last one of theirs that sounded really like urgent to me was Final Frontier. Um, and I feel like these last two albums have have had some good songs on them. I don't know why they're so fucking long. I don't I don't know why like they're like, why don't we make this song eleven minutes instead of yeah. six? You know what I mean? Like right. And I think that because of that, they they lack the punch that a lot of older Iron Maiden delivers. And I feel like they're a little bit too drawn out. I don't I don't love the record, but there is some stuff that I do enjoy about it. I will say that I think that first single, Writing on the Wall, was a horrible fucking mistake. That's easily the shittiest song on that fucking album, man. I think they were going for it just being the most catchy. I, yeah, I, it's, yes. it's I don't know. I don't like it either. Yeah, I, a lot of it just sounds the same to me. It does. It yeah. does. It's not. It's that's it. This me giving that album a good review is just like. Uh, well, number one, I don't really, I don't, I don't really care to reviews album review albums that much as far in terms of good or bad. But just like me, like saying that I enjoyed the album is really just me saying that I enjoy Iron Maiden continuing to put out shit. Me too. I enjoy Iron Maiden always but i don't know i like the book of souls like i feel like a lot better it, it just as a concept i felt like it was stronger i'm not super sold on samurai eddie you know yeah. just like the whole thing feels a little weird to me i, I don't know they're just sort of <laughs> depending on how far you want to take this it seems like they're just sort of like jumping from one sort of like one, uh one super super yeah super dire cultural appropriation to another we've got fucking yeah Stick to eight in in you know. Got we've got Eddie right here done up like a an Aztec or an Incan or or uh, you know some some South American Central American uh, yeah. ancient culture, and then we we skip right over to Eddie in his uh, in his samurai garb. And yes, I I feel where you're coming from. Yeah, no doubt. More of a Judas Priest fan, and that's all I'll say. Fair. Let's get Gary in the waiting room. Give Gary a quick oh, intro, actually. Shit. We got Gary joining us. So today we have got a dude who has put out some of my favorite death metal records of the last few years. Um, short and sweet, but really odd and really, really cool. Uh, he's got a project called Sallow Moth that I absolutely love. It is a death metal project. And then he's got another project. I think it's his main one called Karanir. And if I'm not mistaken, he's got a number of other projects as well. Uh, something of a renaissance man, very cool guy. We're probably going to nerd out on old Magic the Gathering shit. The gentleman joining us today is Gary Brintz. That was a fantastically condensed, concise intro. Let's see what Gary has to say about the new Iron Man. I, I do what I can, man. I try really hard. I, was, I know you do. We love Gary's it. connecting to audio. He's connected. Gary, you in? Connected. 
Hey, okay. Can y'all hear me? We can hear you. Can't see you. Okay, cool. How you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are y'all doing? Doing good, man. I'm uh, I'm Schuler. I'm the guy who's been bothering you online, and I'm joined today <laughs> by my buddy Zach uh, from Death Comes Lifting. Hi, Gary. Awesome. Glad so to what's up? Here with what's you. Up? What's oh, going man. on? Um, it's kind of a slow day at work today. Uh, I work from home, so I just uh, most of days are kind of slow. Uh, <laughs> so that's why I'm on like Twitter all the time, or you know, just listening to music or creating music all the time. Uh, just today happens to be one of those really, really slow days. So I'm glad to be here uh, with y'all. Awesome, man. Thank you. We're glad to have you. Have you, as as somebody who's working for, I take it you work from home because of pandemic related shit, or is that not new for you? Yeah, yeah, uh, def definitely. Um, I guess a, a circumstance of that. Um, I guess I technically could have been working from home before, but um, they just kind of wanted me around the office. And then, of course, you know, pandemic hits and they're like, okay, I think we can safely send you home now <laughs> with all your yeah. you know, like um, computer work computer and stuff like that. So yeah. I think a lot of I think a lot of people <laughs> are realizing that their jobs were perfectly doable from home this entire time. Um, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. One of the things that I'm curious about, uh, I, I, I work from home and my wife does too. Um, mm. Have you have you had to like set up any, did you set up any boundaries in your home where like you have your business area where like this is my space where I work. And then when I leave this space, I don't I don't think mm. about that shit anymore. Or do you just sort of traipse around the house with a laptop working wherever you find yourself? Um, I would say definitely the former. Um just because of uh, the setup that I have, they kind of gave me like a big tower. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very stationary. Uh, I have it set up like kind of uh, in a back room where I also have like my home studio. So everything's just all in the same room here in terms of work and like music creation. So it's just all here. Yeah, and when I, whenever I leave this room, it's like totally out of my mind. So that's... So you keep all of your business in one place, I feel like. Yeah, and I, I don't mean yeah. to I don't mean to lump music in as a business, but I do say it as a business in your situation because you are a prolific motherfucker. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think realistically you kind of have to tie um a little bit of a business um sure. mindset to it. Um just I mean it's just kind of the nature of it. It is an industry, music industry. So yeah. It is. It is, it is. But it, and one of the things that I've I've noticed about you, so Sallow Moth was your first project that I was exposed to, and I've gradually sort of worked my way through some of your other work. Um, yeah. A lot of different facets to what you do. It seems like you've been doing it for a long time, and it sort of seems like there's not necessarily any sort of set expectations for any of it. And I, I think that that is a really yeah. interesting, I think it's an interesting way to approach writing music and still divide what you're doing into different projects. So we would love for you to just sort of walk us through sort of the, 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 the kernel of where your current projects came from and tell everybody what your current projects are, of course. Um, and yeah. then, you know, a little bit about your musical history, just sort of just give us your resume, man. <laughs> right on. Okay. Um, so I guess my, my three main current, well, I guess, yeah, my three current projects, um, one is, I, I would say the one that's been running the longest, of course, is uh, Karanair or Karanair. Uh, pronunciation is kind of really open to interpretation. Um, 
and then Salamoth, of course, uh, which started in the summer of 2016. Um, and then my newest one is Gone Mage, which is also a solo project. And that was kind of born out of uh, the latest album that we released under Carnair uh, uh, called Phase Out. Um, I'm, and I'm kind of like jumping around here, but uh, I'll, I'll go back to the beginning. Uh, so Carnair started in, um, oh gosh, it was late uh, December, I think of 2008, or September of 2008, but we didn't put anything out until 2009. Um, and that has always been or I would say most of the time, a two-person project. We had a very, very brief period where we had a third member um, for only a couple of songs, but uh, things didn't work out, unfortunately. So I would say most of the time, it's just been me and my friend Chris, um, where he handles, I would say, the bulk of the, the lyrical duties and vocal duties. I, I tend to add like backing vocals here and there. And... Um, we definitely, uh, I guess, jump around a lot of sounds. I'd say every album, every split, every release really under that project is almost completely different. Um, I think that kind of goes to my background in just being kind of scatterbrained in my music tastes and music creation, where I, I just kind of have to have my hand in kind of in a lot of different things at the same time. Um, and I'd say that's definitely more evident this year, uh, especially with Salamoth um, and then my new sol uh, solo project, Gone Mage. Um, uh, yeah, I, and, and I would say also Salamoth was kind of my first outlet to, to do vocals like primarily because I was never ever used to doing that, um, mainly just backing vocals. Um, and I was like, man, okay, I think I need to kind of take that helm. Um, and I've always wanted to do, uh, you know, something fully death metal. And we never really had that in Carnair, like maybe just, you know, a couple songs here and there, a couple of riffs here and there. And I was like, okay, this can be totally, you know, its own thing with Salamoth. Um, and I'm just kind of stuck with that. And it's probably the project that will have like, it's, it's uh what do you call it a boundary whereas like car and air there really are no boundaries but salamoth is strictly like this is always going to be this death metal projects one of the one of the things that i think is interesting about this is that i in spite of my best efforts um mm. to like to stay like open-minded and to sort mm. of uh broaden my horizons i still find myself at this point in my life like i'm 38 years old the vast majority mm. of my time as a music fan has been spent pursuing and listening to death metal the majority of what i yeah. listen to it's not death metal is also some form of metal or heavy punk or something like that so i, I find right. myself in a situation where i can't necessarily think about like conceiving of creating music outside of some sort of genre boundary but when you listen to Air, you can hear all of these other things coming in and it, it one of the things yeah. that i think is interesting about that or one of the things that i want to ask you about is sort of mm -hmm. where the catalyst for each record comes from like you say that there's a lot of change from one release to the next i absolutely agree with you the one i'm most <laughs> familiar with is the most recent one a whole lot of really cool sort of like nods to video game culture and things like on there 
Um, do you guys start with an idea with uh, with Coronair, or do you do you start with a particular sound in mind? Do songs come first? Do ideas come first? What's the what's the creation process like in a in a group that has no boundaries and no expectations? That's an interesting question. Um, so I would say over I guess our discography, it's kind of kind of been scatterbrained in that in the approach um to each release like sometimes it's a spur of the moment like oh man like i'll you know just be kind of shooting the shit with chris uh the, the vocalist and i was like hey man i got this really wild idea how about we like warp ourselves into like a video game world you know th this is exactly how it happened and he was just like what that's insane and i was like yeah no we really should lean into it it's like okay we've never done that before and i was like yeah i've kind of always wanted to but i didn't know what project could fit with this um which I mean, this was like the perfect project for it. Just the fact that we do change a lot. Um, but in in other times in the past, it started with just sounds, like just me jamming or or writing riffs and building upon that. And we didn't have necessarily um, a concept, you know, um, from the get go. And then I just hand all the music to him, and then he uh, injects the concept lyrically and like thematically with art or our ideas for art uh, for a particular release. So it's kind of been, um, I'd say all of the above <laughs> as, as a catalyst as just we're, we're very um, wide open to being influenced by things. I think, it's, I think it's cool that there's not really a certain place that you go to look for inspiration uh, or mm -hmm. a certain activity that you undertake to sort of look for it. You know what I mean? Like a lot of, a lot of yeah. times there'll be like, okay, it's time to write a new record. Uh, me and the guys are going to get in the fucking jam room and see what happens right. or whatever, which is cool and which is totally oh, yeah, valid. Yeah. But, but yeah, like definitely. when it's sort of when you're conceiving of things sort of outside this notion of genre with just like whatever comes to your mind, however it gets there, and then you just go mm -hmm. with it. I think that's a super interesting process. And you mentioned, um, you, you know, you start writing it and you sort of get everything built up before you send it off to be treated and injected with a concept and things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you have, since you're a multi-instrumentalist, do you, do you find yourself preferring to write on one particular instrument? Like, do ideas come to you strictly as guitar riffs, or uh, how do you really go about doing that? Is there a, is there a process? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think it's kind of unusual, um, because I myself am not a drummer, but <laughs> almost, I would say 95% of of any music I've ever created starts with um, programming the drums. And it's sort of, it comes from the mindset of, uh, of me, I guess, pretending that I'm jamming with a drummer. Um, so, so I guess it's, 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 a, it's, um, it's kind of a tag team, it's drums and guitar. Uh, so I'm, I'm always starting the bones of a song with the drums and then with guitar in hand. So I'm just like kind of, you know, writing to myself essentially, or writing to drum patterns that I'm that I'm making, um, and I think that that definitely rings true for like Carnair, Salamoth, Gone Mage. It always starts with drums and guitar. Uh, well, not always, but most of the time. Um, I'd say the the minority amount of times I I will sometimes start with the with drums and bass. Um, uh, I would say. Mainly with Carnair, I think Salamoth, it's always been uh, drums and guitar. Yeah. And it is, you know, Salamoth is, Salamoth is definitely eclectic. And we're going to, we're going to get to that in a minute. It's one of my favorite things yeah. about that project. But one of the things about 
Coronaire that's that's interesting to me is just sort of how you how you start from nowhere and then end up with yeah. this. <laughs> like you said, they do sound very different from one release to the next, but it's still identifiable as you. Um, right. Thank is, you. If you start from these sort of this sort of stripped back guitar and drums approach, programming drums, adding guitar to it. Uh, just out mm. of curiosity, what's the weirdest place you've gone with what's ended up on any release that you've done? I'm assuming it's going to be Carnier since that, it, it, yeah. as far as I can tell, is, is probably the most avant-garde. What, 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 have you found yourself fucking with a particular instrument or a particular kind of like sample or something like that where you're like, this is fucking crazy? Oh, man. Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to think about that. Um, let's see. It probably, it definitely is that project. It probably would be um, one of the songs on the newest record where it, I mean, there, there's like, well, there, there, there's some quote unquote metal in it, but it's pretty much a hip hop song um, yeah. at the core with just like a little bit of, um, it's kind of weird, but like God fleshy rhythmic yeah. guitar, but kind of buried in there. But I'd say that that's probably the weirdest starting point I think I've ever made for one of my projects because uh, it just all started with, I mean, it's still programmed drums, but not uh, quote unquote programmed like acoustic drums or programmed drums that are meant to sound like an acoustic set. But it's like, a, you know, a totally electronic hip hop uh, uh, beats based song. And it started from that. And to be honest, it originally was not going to be for that album, for that project. It was just something I was fucking around with in the same uh, session, like the same DAW session. And I sent it to Chris and he was like, this is really weird. Is this going to be for us? And I was like, do you want it to be? And he's like, let's do it. And I was like, OK, well, OK, that's that's a weird starting point, but let's build upon it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's 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 a fun thing to sort of like. I still see what you guys do as some variation of metal. Probably, you know, closer to noise. It's definitely more avant-garde, yeah. but it's it's heavy, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. one of the things that I think is cool about uh, the song that you're talking about, and then also you see other elements of this with what's buried in the mix and Carnair, and then there are other bands that I like who do this as well. Fluids, uh, the Berserker, oh, yeah. uh, Casket Slime is one of them. Who like have yeah. really who really approach drums from like this sort of overdriven, like cartoonishly sampled kind of, like you said, hip hop or industrial influence. I right. think that is a really interesting thing to see sort of incorporated into music that is more or less guitar driven in a lot of cases. And that more or less sort of has that kind of metal sensibility to the songwriting. Um, it's right. just, it, it takes you in some interesting places, man. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, no, really. It, I think a lot of like, electronic or electronic type of music um, or sounds have seemed to really kind of uh, crept into um, songwriting and, and metal just in, I mean, in obviously very, very different ways. Um, but it's pretty cool to see, like, especially just in the fa uh, past few years, there's just a lot of different convergences of, of, of non-metal influences kind of creeping in. Do you feel like sort of having a home studio at your disposal puts you in a position to be more experimental with what you can and can't include in your in your music? Oh uh, yeah, I I would say definitely for sure because um, there there's like no one else with me who's like uh, I guess like pressing me for time or or saying uh, we we don't have this or we don't have that. It's sort of just I have. Um, uh, different tools at my disposal, I guess, and I kind of reach for them if I'm looking for something different or, or if I 
may have seen or heard something in a movie or a show that was like, oh, that's an interesting sound or, you know, just some weird outside uh, influence that I might have access to um, in terms of like software or like different instruments or virtual instruments, I should say. That's what's cool to me is like the software and the virtual instruments part. Well, all the shit is cool to me, but one of the things that I think yeah. is super interesting <laughs> with people who compose and who record and who create entirely on their own is all of this yeah. weird shit that you can sort of cobble together and draw from like programs and sounds and sort of like stored sound bites and things like that, that don't necessarily, oh, that were yeah. never necessarily intended to go <laughs> together and you can figure out ways to put it into music. And I, I think that's, that's a pretty cool, it, it's cool to see where that goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Regarding, so I, I, I do want to get to Salomoth, man, because like I said, that's the yeah, first of sure. your work that I was exposed to. Um, I, I love, I love the, the death metal flavor and the riffs. I think that there's all kinds of really cool other shit that you're sliding in there too. There's like cock rock parts mm. and fucking like motorhead yeah. sound. And yeah. it's, it's fucking <laughs> awesome, man. Like I had, it's a, it's a blast because you don't necessarily know what's coming next. Um, right, but right. I, I'm, and one of the, the things that's, that's cool about that is how well it <laughs> pairs with this crazy fucking story that goes along with it. Um, yeah. The, the sort of the saga that, that we're following along through these releases uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, the writing process for this. Obviously, I would love to hear what death metal bands you're influenced by and who you feel like you're drawing from. But then also, you know, as a storyteller, there's there's a lot more than just like lyrics thrown together. And it's a lot more than what bands sometimes call a concept record. Right. Where really what it is, is there's just like a certain theme that recurs. And that's cool. But yeah, what no I doubt. feel like you're doing is definitely like a story. Like there is a storyline, there's a narrative taking place, it's fleshed out, and it seems like you've got a whole lot of other world building that you've done regarding where you want this to go. So I'm I'm super interested to just dig into that on the whole. Yeah. Oh uh, thank thank you, by the way. Um so I would say from the get-go, Salamoth's like kind of um biggest biggest death metal influences um dismember it's probably always going to be probably the top influence um tonally and musically um just i've always seen them herald them as like one of the best uh you know swedish swedish death metal bands um uh especially like their flair for melody like you know not 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 necessarily mellow death but there you can tell there's some melody in there yeah. um and they've kind of set themselves apart that way and that's always um something i've been drawn to a lot and um similarly but in a little more progressive fashion uh edge of sanity those essentially those two bands are like my biggest two influences <laughs> we, we've we've nerded out on twitter about swano before haven't we if i'm not yeah, mistaken we oh we certainly have yeah definitely yes. <laughs> and I can, I can, I can definitely see that too with some of the more atmospheric influence, some of the, yeah. some of the more out there parts of, of not just Salamoth but other music that you have, where you can yeah. see some of the, oh, yeah. the union of all this shit, the way that Swano puts stuff together in Edge of Sanity, and then like on Moon Tower and things like that. Anyway, oh, go ahead. God, Sorry, didn't yeah. interrupt. Oh no, you're good. I, 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 uh, I love any kind of Swano tangents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like. It, just him in general, any any Swano related stuff, but for sure, you know, Edge of Sanity, just their whole discography is is very um, encompassing in, in, in ranges of death metal. Um, and then I guess like kind of beyond those two, um, 
cynic in a way, although I, I'm not necessarily as technically proficient as as the musicians behind cynic, but they're certainly a very, very big influence. Um, I mean, there's, you know, a little bit of technicality uh, in Salamoth. Um, and then I, I've never really known how to pronounce it. And I've even seen them once, uh, fortunately, but Akercock or Akercocky from U from the UK. Dude, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it either. I, <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm not really sure. The only yeah. record of theirs that I've ever owned is Corinzon. I got, like, I got it when it came out, and <laughs> that was, it was yeah, yeah, fucking awesome record. And that's just one it's of those bands. Kinda, it's kind of slipped through the cracks for me. I can see, you know, yeah. I can see that too because they're kind of all over the place stylistically. You know, you can definitely yeah. call that a death metal record just as much as you can call that a black metal record. And then there's other sort of more progressive elements going on in there. So that's a cool. That's a cool name yeah. to drop. We got to figure I, out how to pronounce that, man. I yeah, I, I feel like I might have heard it maybe in in a YouTube uh, like video interview with them like years ago. I I, I just can't remember. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're they're kind of an off the wall influence for me or, or for Salamoth for sure. Um, and then of course, just like early pestilence, um, early atheist, um, um, and, and and to an extent a little more on the newest record, uh, Stasis uh, Cocoon, I would say Immolation a little bit, like some of their kind of uh, riff writing or, or songwriting structures uh, that are just kind of out there, not like yep. very atypical, really just on like maybe one or two of the songs, uh, Immolation kind of kind of spoke to me a little more this time or for this project. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say those uh, four or five, six, I guess, bands, I'd say my top influences overall. And then um, uh, storytelling. So, so the, <laughs> one of the biggest catalysts for this project, um, maybe not necessarily in the very, very beginning, but on the second EP, Death Spore, uh, I got super, super influenced by Magic the Gathering. Ah, here we go. Yeah, um, that sort of uh, co-opted the project to, to become a, an MTG fan fiction storyline. Um, and I say fan fiction because the, the whole story is my own creation, but it's, it's always guided by the influence of magic's lore. Now there's, there's none of like magic's lore itself in my story. It's always like my own like characters and worlds and, and creatures and stuff like that. But it's it's uh, undoubtedly the the biggest inspiration to uh, the Salamoth lore, um, whether it's like the, the the magic itself involved, like the type of magic, uh, like death magic and um, or nature magic. Obviously, those two kind of fight each other in my lore um, between the like nature preserving moths, uh, the moth folk, uh, as I call them, and then there's also like the chaotic darker. Uh, side who are like a rogue faction of the original moth folk and they're you know practicing in death magic and chaos magic and reanimation you know um, which definitely ties into a lot of death metal themes in general um, so it's just there's a lot of that going on and then while that itself is going on um, there's sort of I would say the more um, sci-fi part of it in the the android or the, the, the hybrid android civilization who's like really all about 
space colonization with their technology and, and uh, their obsession for technology. And like, basically they want to erase all nature and like nature, like all the mod folk, they want to assimilate them. So there's, so there's a little bit of, um, I guess, kind of a Terminator sub theme going on there uh, in, in a way. Um, just machines, nature, magic, all three of those, those things are like the, the cornerstones of the Salamoth lore. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a it's a tight combination to to think about because it really does cover so much sort of like really iconic uh, science fiction and and high fantasy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious about. So you and I have talked on uh, Twitter <laughs> about Magic the Gathering before. I yes. for the yeah. people listening who don't know, like I, I played Magic the Gathering when I was in high school, and it, it was really mm -hmm. only for like a year or two. And my friends and I were into it, and we had a lot of fun. It was just one of those things that kind of fell to the wayside. Um, and I've been toting around this Rubbermaid bin of Magic the Gathering cards <laughs> for literally the last 22 years. Um, oh, and man. finally decided to open that thing up and take a look around in there. And this was a few weeks ago. And I consulted with somebody else. I talked to Gary about it a little bit. I did some digging around online. And I've been subsequently selling these things and making fucking right. bank. Um, which, <laughs> Good which, for you, man. Yeah, which yeah. is pretty cool. Like, it's, 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 I got a little business going on now selling these old fucking <laughs> oh, magic that, yeah. cards. Um, but one of the one of the things that I I kind of I kind of regret about my involvement with magic was oh. at the time when we were playing, not taking more of an initiative to like learn more about the lore. Because this was this was pre-internet days. Really all that yeah. we had to go on, my friends and I in our little redneck South Arkansas town, all we mm. had to go on was just like that you, you've got the card and the card has its function within gameplay. And then there will be like a quote or something on there, you yeah, know, that right. ties it into the story. And I remember looking at these quotes and being like, this is fucking sick. Like, I wonder <laughs> if there's a book or like a, a something that attaches to this, but we just never, we never ended up running it down. So you, uh, yeah, you sort of said that you pull really broadly or, or sort of ambiguously from that, the the I'm guessing the scope of magic lore. How big is that? How did you get familiar with that? And sort of how did that influence the kind of stories that you want to tell? Like how how were you first exposed to it as a game or as a story or what? Yeah, oh, uh, that's very interesting. So first and foremost, definitely just the game, like mechanics and, and the the competitive nature of it all. Um, well, okay, I should backtrack. The very first time I played a magic game, I was actually absolutely not into it but <laughs> I, I think it was just because of the of the the person who who was i guess kind of showing me the ropes yeah, um, and maybe just the, the cards themselves and the decks um i guess i just wasn't feeling it i i thought it was like okay you know i thought the art like you know was cool but it didn't grab me but i would say the second time i ever played like really spoke to me and i was like okay and I, I think it was just the way the method that it was taught to me and and the decks that were built they were cohesive and there was like themes and like the art was was really speaking to me so that kind of grabbed me in and i just like dove super deep into the game um and uh I, i'd say the lore was kind of secondary for a while until like kind of how you said I just started reading the the what they call the flavor text on the bottom of the cards and I was like okay this is actually pretty cool yeah. and um on um uh, the magic subreddit every time there was a new set they would post like the 
uh, what they call like magic story or magic story time. And they'd post these like big, uh, like long, long, you know, storylines of what's going on in the magic universe uh, for each set. And I was like, this is kind of insane. And my friend who, who got into the game with me or, or shortly before me, but we were like really playing a lot together. He was like, dude, you got to go check out and I can't remember the link, but there's like a YouTube video that summarizes the timeline of, of the entire Magic the Gathering lore. And I watched it and I was like, just completely blown away by how expansive it was. And I was like, I want to do something with this. Like, you know, not not necessarily um, use their characters, but like sure. it, it really spoke to me, like to create my own, uh, like, you know, like I said, fan fiction version of it, like heavily inspired by it. And yeah, yeah, like the, it's just an, it's such an expansive lore. I, I do feel like magic sort of for, for the, for people who may listen to this podcast or people who are just sort of mm. interested in this or people who don't give a shit, but are like, yeah, I'll listen to you guys nerd out about this shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> one, one of the things that I think has been a really interesting development and sort of productive development, even though it does have some downsides to it, uh, is mm. sort of how the shared universe has, has kind of been um, introduced to, and like at this point attached to popular culture, right? You've got, the adaptations right. of all the Marvel stuff. You've got uh, now right. like the Star Wars shit, um, and then you have this. You have this other weird thing behind it, where like these worlds can be shared based upon who owns the intellectual property that created them, and I, I, that part right. is kind of gross. But I do yeah. think, yeah, I do think like the, the this notion of wider storytelling and of like different narratives and of like sort of the subjectivity of of what is typically told is like a very monolithic story, right? Like Star Wars, mm -hmm. for instance. You look at those three right. movies, the original three movies, you've got very clear villains, you've got very clear heroes. Things start to mm -hmm. get a little muddled later on. We start to get more dimensions later on in those movies. But by sure. and large, I think part of what made it such an, an interesting pop culture phenomenon and, and, and so eaten up by people is that it is, you, there's de you know who you're rooting for. You know what I mean? Right. And, Right. One of the things that I like about shared universe, or at least the 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 potential for this, and I, I think that you could probably see this in, in Magic the Gathering in places, is that there is sort of this necessity of subjectivity to looking at different events from different characters' points of view, from different cultures' points of view. Um, and that that, to me, sort of really opens up storytelling in a way that is beneficial and and i think that you're doing it with your music but i also like what i would love to see is like kids who are coming up right now who are trying to write or you know plot lyrics or whatever like think about think about history and think about fantasy that way like as these things that have oh, multiple yeah. facets to it i think that's really cool it is really cool um and i think like a, a lot of people there, there, it's, it feels like there's a lot more creativity flowing um these days in, in, in music film like like younger people getting into to exercising their creativity and it's like such a cool thing to see um i mean i i've always considered myself very creative since i was a kid um and my friends as well but i don't know it just seems like there's there's such an explosion of creativity in the, just the past few years and um i don't know you know they they must be inspired by so many different things uh you know like me um, whether it's magic or Star Wars or, you know, something else in pop culture. 
So tell us a little bit about your your sort of creative development as a musician. Um, Where did you get started with that? Sort of how did you how did you get into playing? At what age? What context? Yeah. Um, let's see. I I'd say when I was um, uh, gosh, I think I was seven, six or seven. Uh, my mom kind of got me to start playing piano. So that was uh, the first instrument I started learning. It's definitely not like my strong suit, and I, it's sort of an accent instrument now, kind of over the years, um, but it was the first instrument I learned, and it, I guess I stuck with it only for a couple of years, and then uh, back when I was in middle school, I learned um, uh, cornet, uh, basically a trumpet, um, only for a couple of years as well. I, I, I liked it okay, but it didn't really, you know, stick with me. Um, but it wasn't till my, I guess, um, the summer before I started high school, I started playing bass because my best friend at the time, um, who, who plays a lot of the solos on Stacy's Cocoon, uh, our oh, cool. junior, uh, we, we grew up together in, in middle school and high school. Um, he started learning guitar. And so, you know, by nature, I was like, well, I want to learn bass so we can jam together <laughs> or, or, you know, whatever, learn, learn, you know, some rock and metal songs at the time. And um, I'd say that was kind of the launching point um, for, for getting into metal and getting into writing metal um, was, was back then. And then in, in high school, I was like, well, now I kind of want to learn guitar. Um, just like getting deeper into like death metal and black metal. I was like, the, you know, the, you know how they say the riffs the riffs really speak to a lot of people and i was like god i want to learn how to either play these or like learn how to write like this um so so i guess yeah in high school is really a big explosion of of uh creativity in terms of uh learning guitar and and then eventually kind of learning like production and recording and stuff like that at the um uh, i guess the tail end of high school and into like college age have you um, have you done any production work like professionally? Did you did you sort of assemble your studio on your own, or did you get experience with that someplace else? Where'd you where'd you learn to do that stuff, man? Because your shit sounds great. Thank you, thank you. Um, uh, I'd say in the beginning it was definitely a very DIY type thing, just experimenting and, huh. and just trying different things. Um, but then I I did go to a recording school. It was like a vocational school uh, called Media Tech Institute. I, I believe they're still around, um, or like at least the Dallas branch. Um, but it's a it was a one year program, and you learn essentially just all the steps of, of production, like recording, songwriting, mixing and mastering, um, and then there was even a course, the final course, or the, the final two courses were like live sound production, uh, which was which was kind of I wasn't super into. Um, but it was uh, required. And then the business side of music, uh-huh. the business course. So that was like a huge, um, I guess, uh, pivotal shift in how I per- perceived production and the whole music industry as a whole. And I was like, wow, this is there's so much more to this than I originally thought. And that gave me kind of a, uh, a huge boost um, on that side of things. Um, and in terms of like, my home studio, it, it, it was uh, kind of springboarded from that. Like over the years, I've just been accumulating gear, you know, uh, physical gear, software, um, stuff like that. 
Cool. Cool. And, and one of the things that I'm curious about is like a lot of this development, it seems is kind of, I'm not going to say that it seems like it's happened in a vacuum, but it's usually like you mm. and one other person sort of bouncing ideas off of each other. Do you, have you, what's the, what's like the, the most collaborative environment you've ever made music in? Is it, have you always sort of been running the show or are you, have you, have you been like part of a band other than just with your buddy in high school and with your collaborator now? Yeah. Um, Oh, that's a great question. Um, most of the time, it's it's been that way, where uh, it's just been kind of uh, me hunkered down in, in a in a studio setting or a home setting, writing ideas, um, writing and recording ideas. Um, but there has been a few times where I've been in a full band. Uh, uh, let's see, back in 2009, I joined a friend's band. We were called They Mostly Come Out at Night. And I still love that name, oh, which is a reference from uh, Aliens. Most, uh, mostly. Uh, <laughs> mostly, yeah. Um, and that was, uh, for the longest time, an instrumental instrumental band, um, yeah. like kind of like an instrumental version of like Neurosis or like Isis kind of, oh, um, that, of, of that ilk. And uh, eventually we did add vocals um, uh, in our, we, we, we broke up for a while and then we reformed and then we broke up again. It's sort of, that band's mo um but at the <laughs> in our our various incarnations of that band we would have six to seven members just so many um uh what do you call it i guess idea creators or like everyone in that band was just coming with ideas and i was not used to that and i i, I was the one who just played bass and i kind of wanted to take a backseat role in that band because I was, you know, forming Carnair and, and just kind of, you know, at the helm of that musically. And I was like, okay, I don't think I want to be kind of a conductor role for, for, uh, for this band. They must have come out at night. At, at times I was, but mostly I was kind of one who would defer to others. Um, and I would just add my own input, uh, which was kind of a, 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 what do you call it? Kind of a, a good break from what I was used to um and then one other time i was the bassist in wild speaker kind of um, a black and crust type wild band. speaker uh, fucking rips that oh uh, hell yeah yeah that uh what was that record they put out on prosthetic i can't remember the, the title of it were you were you um, part of that Spre spreading adder yes yeah uh i was the uh, uh i played bass on that and produced no that. fucking uh, uh, did no shit yeah, did the production for that album. Record it in this same very room where I record all my stuff. <laughs> Fuck me. I did not know that. I, I pride myself on doing a little bit of research and I never put that together. Fuck, man, that I, record ripped. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, man, I love that record. It's so intense. Um, yes, that is a I, fucking intense. That is one way to put it. it. Yes. <laughs> that was such a fun record. Um, honestly, one of the one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Um that was the only band where I I've gone on tour with. Uh, it was uh -huh. a very small tour, and um, I, I also just played bass in that band and was kind of you know just just providing the backbone, not not really putting much creative input, you know, just here and there a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, that really just those two bands uh, where it's been kind of a break from my my norm. What's the what's the status with live music with your current projects? Obviously, we've <laughs> there's. There's kind of an elephant in the room regarding live <laughs> live music and fucking mass gatherings of people right now. But have you right. have you given any thought? You know, Carnier's predates the and Salomoth both predate the 
the pandemic. Um, have you ever mm. done any of that music live before, or have you have you ever put together like a, a group of people for particular occasions to play or anything like that? Oh, uh, we we haven't before, or I haven't before. Um, and it's something that that I've thought about and kind of mold around about, but I I sort of feel like those those projects are cemented as studio projects. Um, and I, I'm not really sure why I can't, I don't know if I can put it into words, but I feel like those two projects are not necessarily ones that would translate to a live environment. I kind of see them as just these captured moments and that like, that, that's, that's all there is to those projects. Um, you know, like they're just things that you listen to. Um, I mean, I, I think it would be cool maybe for Salamok to, to make a live lineup. Um, I don't know when, <laughs> but I, I know I have some friends who might be interested in doing it maybe as like a one-off show, you know, down the line. But I think for now, uh, they, they'll just be seen as studio recordings. The studio that, recording is a, that is a really cool and interesting way to, to look at music that you've created or, or music that anybody has created. Because I think a lot of times with heavy music in, mm. in particular, um, what you hear is is anchored in your mind so completely to the live experience. I think that if you yeah. make like a conscious choice to divorce that from something that could be played live or something that was designed to be played live, that sort of allows you to take it in different places. That's that's really cool that you that you think of it that way. Yeah, I, I think one one band that sort of hung around in the back of my mind in that mindset is like Dark Throne. Like they've, well, I, I know they've played live during their like early, early death metal demo days, uh, but as like their bulk of their career, they've been literally just a two man studio project. Yeah. And they're huge, you know, obviously like one of the biggest uh, black metal bands. Um, and I, I mean, not that, not that Karne or like Salamoth like sound like them, but like I've always taken that mindset to, to heart for those projects, just like, okay we can we can put out records and just like a bunch of releases um you know and that that's that, that's just what they are <laughs> so tell us about your latest project yeah um so gone mage um it's it's a also another solo project and it was totally born from the the Carner album phase out uh from this earlier this year and it's it's essentially a more um, focused blend of what was going on on that record, um, like black black metal, and then the video game, like eight bit chiptune sounds. Like those are my two, um, I guess, uh, colors on the palette, so to speak, that that I'm drawing from for that project. And those are like kind of the boundaries of like, okay, this project is going to continue carrying on that torch, that that weird torch, <laughs> so to speak. Um, whereas like you know, Carnair is always going to change. Like we're we're not always going to have, you know, the, the same sounding record. But Gone Mage is like something that will carry that sound. Um, just because I was so, um, I guess, inspired and like excited by by what we created, I was like, man, I really don't want this to die. Like I want this to carry on in some other form. Um, and that that's kind of the catalyst for Gone Mage is just uh, its own like weird video game dimension. How far into that process are you? Um, so, so far, just one album, um, a short album. It's like, I think, 27 minutes. Uh, I released that back in May. 
and I'm currently working on the second album. Um, it's also around the same length. Um, I kind of like short, short albums for, for this project, at least for now. And that one, I think, should be out in November, mid, mid to late November. Um, yeah, yeah. I uh, probably will even work on a third album like next year for that. Do you, uh, do you work on different projects simultaneously? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd say more so this year than any other year before. <laughs> I wonder why. Did you have, yeah. you have some extra time at home, Gary? <laughs> oh, man, I might. I might have a little extra time. Yeah. <laughs> so how's, well, how's the uh, other than, you know, you're a creative guy. You've obviously been making the most of this when it comes to music. How's how's the rest yeah. of the pandemic been for you? If you don't mind talking about that for a minute, man, we always try and get into that yeah. a little bit with our guests since that's kind of what this podcast was born of. For sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't mind at all. Um, I, I'd say in general, um, it's been it's been pretty well. Um, I've, I've fortunately stayed healthy. Um, I haven't been sick uh, at all um, in the past um, uh, year and a half or, or so. Um, it's just been kind of a very reclusive time. Uh, me and my girlfriend, um, she, she doesn't work at home. She works at a, a grocery store. So re really the only times that I'm going out is taking her to and from work. Um, um, but yeah, it's been very, very fortunate for us that we're both um, like, you know, surviving, you know, sticking, sticking to each other and, and kind of uh, making it through what's going on. Now, forgive me for not knowing, are you in the thick of it in Dallas or are you like sort of further out? Where, where exactly are you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in uh, Arlington, which is kind of in okay. between Dallas and Fort Worth. And I would say it's a pretty big, pretty big city, but it's, it's definitely not as, uh, you know, bustling as Dallas. Is, is, uh, is the COVID situation in Texas, at least from your perspective, as scary as it's, as it's being made out to be in the news? And I don't mean that as like a dig on the news or anything like that. Like, do, oh, you, yeah, feel yeah, like, yeah. do you feel like you're in um, constant danger? Um, man, I mean, kind of, yeah. Um, uh, thankfully, me, me and my girlfriend are vaccinated, but, you know, even yeah. just beyond that, like, it's, it's something that's on our minds, you know, every day, uh, especially since, since uh, she's in a grocery store. Um, yeah. you know, we try to be very mindful and, and cautious about just everything daily, uh, who we come into contact with, you know, wearing a mask, you know, just following protocol, um, staying safe. Um, but yeah, I would say, Man, the cases are are pretty scary uh, uh, here in Texas, uh, and and especially in the Dallas area. Yeah, I mean, like I, you know, we, my wife and I are also vaccinated, and we wear masks. And in DC, on the whole, is like a really is a is a highly vaccinated, pretty progressive place. But like, yeah, I still yeah. find myself. I have a bad habit of fucking doom scrolling, man. So like, I find myself oh, getting man, online yeah. and being like. <laughs> Oh, look at these fucking breakout cases. Like, I'm not conspiratorial or anything. I'm not like, oh, right. the virus is going to get you anyway. It's not like that. But like, right, I just right. still, I, 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 you know, I'm like, well, I got the fucking shots and I'm wearing the mask. <laughs> I wish I was not still so scared. But I guess that's, I, yeah. just, I guess that's yeah. just the world that we live in at this point, man. It, I, it unfortunately is like, yeah, like I feel the same. Like, it, you know, I've checked this off. I've checked this. I'm checking this off day to day, but I still feel like, man, what? something could go wrong still you know we just have to stay on top of our game and hope you know hope that others do the same um but yeah it is it is scary 
it is, it's scary and it just, it seems like there's no end, uh, you know, I, right. and the thing is right. like, I'm not a particularly social person anyway. Like I'm not, same here. Yeah. I'm not like, I'm not hurting too badly from not being able to go out and go places, you know, but still like right. now when I am out in places, I'm just like super <laughs> heightened and self-aware and it's, I don't know, it's, you know, we deal with it's, it. How it's we, a wild how we, feeling. It yeah. Is. Yeah. It it, I, I'm kind of the same way where, um, like, yeah, I, I really, even before, uh, the pandemic, like I, I wasn't too social, you know, I mean, I go out every, you know, every now and then, um, but it's kind of been a thing that's that I've not really worried about throughout all of this. Um, I guess, you know, I, I'm making a shit ton more music now, uh, just yeah. by having like zero social output or social gatherings, uh, yeah, I guess that that's kind of the a byproduct of, of, of that mindset. <laughs> For those of us who enjoy your shit, Gary, I feel like that's a decent enough trade-off. I'm sorry that yeah. you have to be, I'm sorry that you have to endure this, but uh, right, yeah, we're, right. we're Zach, we're both stoked on Salomoth. It's been great to talk to you about Carnair and get a little more insight into that and Gone Mage. Yeah. This is really Thank this you. has been a cool chat, man. Thank you so very much. Now likewise, man. It's it's been a blast. I have, thank you. I, I have successfully steamrolled Zach, which is what I, which is kind of what I do. That's our, that's <laughs> our re recurring, our recurring thing on here now is that I don't shut the fuck <laughs> up ever. Um, but there is a very, very important ritual that we have at the end of each okay. one of these podcasts. And, 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 and your answer here is of the utmost importance. And Zach is going to step in and hit you with this question because we are dying to know the answer. Yes. This, is, okay. this is why I'm here. This is I, I wait the hour just to just drop <laughs> bomb onto people. I I, I I cast it like a Magic the Gathering spell onto you, Gary. Nice. Instantaneously. Instantaneously. Yeah. What is your favorite Black Sabbath record? Oh man. Ooh. No pressure. Oh man. Okay. I mean that's an excellent question, and I mean honestly. I told you, I'm here for a reason. The, the foundation of metal itself. Exactly. Um, it's kind of, oh man. Okay. It's a hard question to answer. Absolute. It, it, it is. It's, I will have to say, like, and there's no ties, uh, Master of Reality. I kind of heard you were going to say that for some reason. Okay. I, I kind of had an English. <laughs> It's be, it's because he it's because he mentioned the foundations of metal like that for me like <laughs> fucking Black Sabbath amazing record paranoid awesome rock record definitely some hints yeah. of where they were gonna go but like Master definitely. of Reality is the foundation of heavy metal for me like I, I think fucking... that that's the notch that like kicked yes. it up um, you know uh, just in general for for metal itself um, it I, obviously like their 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 discography is massive and iconic. Um, but yeah, yeah. That, that record alone, I think I would consider my favorite. We had a couple. Of, we had a couple of masters lately, man. That makes me happy because for a long time nice. we didn't get anybody saying master. So man, I'm oh, glad nice. we're in the same boat, Gary. We can now we have another thing to nerd out about. Nice, yeah. Add that to the tally, yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's and that's what Twitter's for, man. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so very much for giving us some of your time today. Um, we are stoked to see what music comes from you next. I'll be enjoying what's out in the meantime. We'd love to talk to you again sometime, dude. Thank you again. Yes. Right on. Yeah. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Gary. Out, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Have a good one, y'all. See you, buddy.
not a good dude. Gary's a nice guy, man. Gary's a nice guy. Gary nice, is a cool, nice, nice guy. guy. Yeah, man. Yes, and like we've as as we've been steadily talking on Twitter, I keep I kept saying to myself, we got to get this fucking guy on the podcast because I I came across his music before I actually got in touch with him, and it's just been really cool. One of those really cool experiences where you find out that people who make shit that you think is dope turn out to be dope people, which is bad. Awesome. That's kind of what we figured out with this podcast. It's been the recurring theme. There's really been no one that I've been like, oh, that dude kind of sucked, even privately to yeah. you. Get that on the podcast. Yeah. It's always it's been awesome. It has been. And like we, I want to try, that's why I'm super selective with who I ask because I'm like, yeah. can I handle if it, this person turns out to be a dick? So that's what why we're walking on eggshells. We got we got good people in store though, man. We got more cool shit on the yeah, way. It's gonna be awesome. Always. Thank you, brother. Thanks to you, my dude. Soon, man. Love you. Take Love care you. of yourself, and we will see each other soon. Always. Thanks, everybody awesome. out there.